Welcome to the 16th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. This week, we are going to talk about the tools and environments we use to get work done. A lot of these tools are specific to working in a Linux-heavy environment. All three of us are currently working full-time in a Linux-only administration role. We do want your feedback. Our Twitter hashtag is at OperationsFM. Please leave a comment on our website at operations.fm or email us at feedback.operations.fm. Show notes for this episode can be found at operations.fm slash episodes slash 16. And if you have cool stuff you'd like us to talk about or great feedback that we could have on the show, let us know. We know you listen. We have the Amazon logs. So who's going to start, start us off tonight? Jared, come on. Yeah, I'll go. So let's see here. So desktop, I have a 27-inch Retina iMac. Uh, I went back and forth on trying to... If, if there was a decent 5K, 4K screen that would work reliably with the, the Mac Pro and it would have worked in my, my budget, I would have gotten it. But honestly... If you don't necessarily need all the power of the Mac Pro, the Retina iMac is more than enough. I mean, it's this one's a 4 gigahertz i7. I added some aftermarket RAM because Apple still charges an arm and a leg. Uh, so I've got 32 gigs of RAM, and uh, I think total it came under it, it was right like right at 2K, which for a for a 5K screen, it's just a, it, alone is pretty much what you ought to pay for. So. Uh, and then I do have a 13-inch uh, refurbished Retina MacBook Pro for a laptop. Um, and that's pretty much what I do for hardware. So I'm pretty much OS X only on my client side. I do run some VMs, some Linux VMs uh, inside of VirtualBox. Uh, we, uh, a couple of our clients use God, God. Vagrant. And uh, so I run that as well. And so then, uh, I guess to round out hardware, uh, I do use Grado Labs, uh, the SR60 uh, headphones for my uh, headphone for my listening pleasure. And that pretty much wraps it up for me. So I also have a 27-inch iMac. Mine's an older model that I bought myself a couple of years ago. Um, and I have it sitting next to a Mac Pro with three cheap 22-inch 1080p screens in portrait right next to each other. Um, I have a big mechanical clicky keyboard and a laptop that I never use. Um, I don't like laptops. I don't find them to be comfortable. I don't find them to have enough screens, real estate, and I just avoid them. And I like the clicky keyboards you get with an actual um, desktop. My next machine probably won't be a Mac. I've been using a Mac f since 85, but my next personal machine and my next work machine will probably just be Linux boxes due to reliability and the fact that all that I'm doing these days at work is administering Linux boxes, and there's less and less of a need for the specifics you get out of having a Mac. Does that mean it's my turn? It does. All right. So like Brendan, I really do not like using a laptop uh, as a workstation. I tend to find myself hunched over it, and then my back hurts. There's, there's way not enough screen real estate. And of course, it's a laptop. To read the screen, you end up having to get like two inches from it. And it's it's just not my uh, preferred work environment. Um, I do keep a MacBook Pro as a uh, with the Retina screen um, as a laptop. It runs all of my teleconferencing stuff, um, Skype, Sokoko, 
um, whatever random client wants to use as teleconferencing software, I know the Mac will run it and run it pretty well. Um, so for me, the Mac is when I'm on the road being portable, um, it works as my workstation um, and I it, it runs all my comms for me and I know that I won't have to fix it like I have to fix my client's machines. And there's a line in the sand where I really just don't need to spend time fixing my own machines, um, even even as a hobby anymore. Uh, I prefer to work from a Linux workstation. Um, I, too, like Brendan, enjoy the sound of an IBM Model M keyboard. My keyboards are old enough to drink. And they have drinking buddies. So that is the oldest component attached to my workstations. Uh, I tend to build them myself because it's a lot cheaper that way. You get the parts you uh, you want to have. You get the specs you want to have. Um, I end up uh, buying most of my stuff from a local uh, computer store uh, called Intrex. If you have an Intrex nearby, uh, please frequent their, uh, their storefronts because... Really, they're one of the only remaining uh, computer shops around um, that haven't failed. They have a great business model. Um, and I know that the parts that I buy from Intrex, um, they have used for and uh, for years or have experience with and tested. And I know those parts are going to work well with each other. So there, there is some service aspect uh, to my use of Intrex. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, custom-built Linux machines... Uh, I have a dual Asus monitors, the VS247s are what I'm currently using, uh, lovely anti-glare uh, matte finish uh, monitors, unlike the shiny Macs. Um, and I think that's mostly it for me. Um, I am a bit of an audiophile on the side. Go, Jared, for having a good set of headphones. I've got a couple sets of grottos floating around the house. Uh, my... Preferred listening environment is a uh, pair of uh, Bear Dynamics uh, HT800s or 880s, something like that, I believe. I don't have them in my hands currently. But uh, attach those to a Deckware uh, 2-amp, the CSP2 Plus, um, makes an awfully nice uh, audio system at the desk. So that's hardware for me. What do you guys use for desks and chairs and such? So I have a uh, a stand and sit desk. I actually got uh, one made by a company called Jarvis, and uh, I actually just bought the frame because I plan to um, do some built-ins, and so I wanted to kind of control what the the desk was actually going to look like. Uh, and it, it actually came right at five hundred dollars, so um, it was actually very cheap. And then I just I'm actually using a uh, uh, some cheap chair I got from Target a few years back. So I have a sit-stand desk as well that I picked up from standdesk.co, and I think it was $900 with cable management arm and all the other pieces along with it. It served me incredibly well. It has memory position settings for stuff. It's pretty awesome that way. And I have a Herman Miller Aeron that I found at a yard sale for $25 that had a busted gas cylinder, and 30 bucks later, I had a replaced gas cylinder, and I have the pinnacle of late 90s web design to keep my lumbar properly aligned, which is pretty awesome. That is an awesome deal. I've sat in Aeron's for most of my career, really, 
and once I moved to the home office, um, it's hard to pay eight hundred bucks for a chair, um, especially when you're when you work in several different places. I I don't need you know multiple eight hundred dollar chair investments. No, but those are great chairs. What are you using at home now? Oh, see, I'm using a very traditional uh, desk, a wooden desk. Um, I happen to like more traditional furniture with a nice cherry finish. Um, and I never really bought a chair um, when I started working at home. I used the chair I had, which I'd acquired in college, which was a piece of junk-o. Um, and finally, the gas cylinder blew on the thing. So eventually, I had to you know, break down and buy myself a de- uh, a, um, a chair that didn't suck. Have you yet? I'm trying to find it. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> so, <laughs> so excuse my uh, uh, clicking of Amazon. Um, so, you know, I was in a position where I needed to buy a chair that didn't suck. That I'm going to sit in my keister for quite some amount of time. I didn't really have 800 bucks to spend on an Aaron chair. Um, so I did a bit of research, did some poking around Amazon, and uh, Amazon has an Alera Illusion chair, which is uh, under 200 bucks, which was very highly reviewed in several different places. Um, very well adjustable, and I definitely checked to make sure the chair could could rise to the appropriate height. Um, so you know your arms can be appropriately placed over your keyboards. Um, and that chair's actually worked really well for me. Um, I'll stick a link to that chair in the uh, show notes. Talking about ergonomics, my biggest problem with the sit-stand desk is that all of my positioning is for the monitor height is set for when I'm sitting. But when I'm standing, I find myself looking down at the monitors because they don't proportionally move up with the rest of it. And I need to find a way to raise the monitors about four inches once the desk is all the way up. But yeah, I found at my new office place that the way the desk is set up there, uh, my monitors need to be about four inches higher than they really are. You uh, can use my solution of just putting books underneath it. Actually, I do have a couple of dead 1U rack mount switches I could bring up to the office. Hmm. <laughs> so on from hardware. Um being that most of us, the three of us run Macs for primary work stuff, except for Jack for his Mac and his Linux piece. Um, a lot of the tools we'll be talking about are either OS X specific or available on OS X as well as other platforms. You want to start us off again, Jared? Yeah. So obviously I've, I, I run OS X as my OS. Um, and, and like Brendan, I actually am looking to move back to Linux. And I say back because I did used to run Linux as a, as a desktop for a long time, for a while back. Um, I just got tired of tinkering with it and OS X, at least in its prime, um, was, was something that looked decent by default and was just rock solid. And unfortunately that seems to be not the case anymore. So, uh, anyway, and it, pretty much everything else that I use in the environment is available in Linux. Anyway, my shell is bash. Uh, I don't use ZSH or the others, um, my fear with using something like ZSH is that I would get 
dependent on some feature there, and then when I'll actually log into a a box that I need to work on, the shell is not there because most obviously most Linux boxes do not have ZSH installed. Um, ZSH is for losers. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I I just feel like when you get too gimmicky, that sometimes you you t- tend to forget things. So um, my editor is uh, good old Vim. Um, I actually started off with hardly any plugins, and I actually still only have just a few plugins. I, I really the only few that that I really use are more syntax syntactical for syntax checking. Um, a few plugins like Vim Rails for Rails uh, programming, uh, Vim Puppet for puppet things. So really, it's just around specific languages or frameworks just to make sure you know syntax is correct or. Uh, little shortcuts that are specific to them. Um, for a password manager, I use 1Password, which is actually a very nice piece of software. I wish they did make something for Linux, although technically I guess they do have their browser, or you can access the database through a browser now or whatever, but still, um, since most of my machines are Macs, then that's not a big issue for me. Uh, I currently use OX's OS X's terminal app for my terminal. However, I am looking at iTerm 3, the beta, since it does have like native Tmux integration. Um, and what's really cool about there is that if you connect to like, let's say a remote Tmux in, uh, session, when you do command T to open a new terminal on the OS X side, it looks like you open up a new terminal, but it actually behind the scenes just does a new uh, screen tab in the remote session. Uh, so you can actually have all your SSH uh, sessions running remotely and still have um, your your native shortcuts like Command-T and then Command-Shift-Left-Right bracket to change your, your tabs. Uh, so I've been playing around with that for a little bit, trying to get, get uh, used to that. Uh, and then uh, all my dot files are in a uh, Git repo, and then I use GNU-STO, to manage symlinks for them. Uh, that's really cool because then instead of uh, having to sit there and manually remember to link like uh, you know, .bash RC or uh, .bash profile or .git ignore, whatever, um, you can actually have all those stored in subfolders, uh, like all the bash uh, ones are stored in a subfolder called bash. Uh, all the git-related configs are stored in a subfolder called uh, git. And then you just do stow bash or stow git, and it will automatically symlink anything in that directory one directory up. So it's really handy on creating all the symlinks for all that stuff. And uh, I got some various path, you know, some various paths uh, set up. And since I do use Linux and OS X, I actually use uh, the OS type variable that's set by bash to be able to sit there and uh, load specific. Uh, paths or aliases for OS X only or Linux only so I don't run into any issues there and um, the only I guess hard edit or craziness that I do is I do show the brand, git branch name and its current status in my prompt so that way I can see if like my git branch is dirty or if I'm off of master and it, that has really helped me in a lot of times to know quickly like where I'm at, and that is a problem. Where I've I've gone to another machine that is a, does have a Git repo. I'm like, well, what what branch am I in? Or you know, I, I forget. I got to do Git branch to see where I'm at. So uh, that's pretty much all my software. I guess I will go next. 
Um, my text editor of choice, because I've been a Mac user since basically walking, is BB Edit, and I know that it's a graphical text editor, and a lot of Linux admins poo-poo that. But it does a lot of really awesome things. I get find I get regular expression find and replace, and all those things that people want in other real text editors. But I also get things like I can have my unsaved text buffers shared between machines via Dropbox. So if machine kernel panics or if BB Edit crashes when it infrequently does, I don't lose any work. And my other machines on the same network don't lose any work. And if all my machines go down together because of a power outage and they come back up, I still don't lose any work. It's pretty amazing. And it's well worth the uh, 60 bucks or whatever it costs. Um, when I'm not on a Mac, I am using Vim. It's always there, unless you're on a really, really old Solaris box. And thankfully, I haven't dealt with one of those in many years. So Vim is basically it. Um, and Vim and VI are so close to, so close that you can fall back pretty easily to VI if, if Vim's not available. Um, I have an elaborate homegrown git base dot file management system that's really really awful i need something better so i am always looking for a better alternative but i've not found one that kind of suits my particular use cases which kind of sucks um i use apple's terminal app and a lot of people don't like it but i think it's just fine i have there's a set terminal style um, apple shell apple script that you can link from the shell and i have it set for ssh sudo man and a couple of other programs that when they run it does things like change the background color of the window to blue sets the text to white for an ssh session so i know when i'm on a, on a remote host when i run sudo locally it sets the background of the, the window to red and sets the text to black so it's the hey you know don't screw around here you be, don't be an idiot that kind of stuff and having the 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 remote sessions colored blue is very helpful when the network drops because all the sessions will drop after 30 or 60 seconds or whatever the timeout is. And then you notice that, Hey, it's, okay, it's all actually dead. So that's really handy. Um, I use LastPass for storage instead of one password because I started using password storage when I was using a Linux box as one of my desktops a couple of years ago. Um, LastPass used to be free and then it was a dollar a month and it's pretty good. Um, I use Synergy 2 to link machines together so it's a it's a software kvm that lets you use a single keyboard mouse trackpad whatever and do kvm like stuff between machines it syncs your copy and paste buffers which is really nice and so this way i can have one clicky clacky keyboard on my desk that controls all my machines um i also use virtualbox for vagrant testing i use crash and crash plan for backups i also use time machine for backups with both local and network um, disks and the other bit is that I have homebrew set up on OS 10, so I get modern bash and other goodies that are required for what I do without having to go rebuild and do all kinds of craziness because homebrew has pretty much everything I need in a reasonable packaged manner. Jack. All right, the defined order of, of the universe here. So, yeah, starting off back with homebrew, when I'm on my Mac, uh, brew is, is usually what I'm using to get the actual tools I need to do my job. Um, and I've, I found that very successful. It has up-to-date and current versions of stuff. Um, so that's worked really, really well in keeping my Mac populated with, with uh, the Linux tools that I need to, to make shit go. Um, I wrote down in my notes software I pay for because I realize there's not really a lot of software that I actually pay for. 
Um, but there is some stuff that I use every day that I'm not sure I could live without. Um, crash plan for backups. Um, really, folks, pay for your backups. You'll kiss yourself later. Um, I do pay for LastPass. Um, there's a free version, I believe, Brendan, and a professional version that's $12 a year, $1 a month. The uh, paid version gives you access to the um, iPhone and Android uh, app, which yeah. is which is not – the integration isn't as good as it is through your browser on my desktop. But when I need to do stuff uh, from my um, iPhone, uh, it's easy enough to, to copy the passwords and get them pasted where they need to be. So that works well enough. Um, I do pay for Skype uh, if I actually have to make a phone call uh, for, you know, work purposes or even personal relay. Um, Skype is usually uh, what I route the phone call through. Um, not to mention that I can use my audio setup that I use for uh, meetings every day, which is more comfortable than the phone. Um, the compression is a whole lot less horrible than talking on your cell phone. So I can actually understand the person on the other end. Funny that, making a phone call and and understanding the person on the other end. Um, I use iCloud uh, Drive Space uh, personally to keep you know my uh, iPhone backed up, my wife's iPhone backed up, and all of our pictures synced and kind of the family thing. Um, I don't really use Dropbox all that much, although I'll keep circling back to it. Um, I would definitely like a a more secure way to share settings and and stuff between my Mac and my Linux box here, my Linux box at my office um, when I'm on the move. So I find Dropbox to be far more reliable than iCloud has been in terms of you, you put a file in Dropbox and you know how quickly it will be on the the other computers. Whereas with iCloud, sometimes it's 30 minutes before it shows up and you're just waiting and waiting. Basically, I use iCloud as a backup solution for the iPhones. Ah, okay. So uh, the cheap plan, 99 cents a month, auto backups of all of our pictures and, and stuff on our iPhones, uh, even the work stuff on my iPhone. So uh, that works well for me. Um, Shell, who doesn't use Bash? And I, I asked that rhetorical question in the light of having to work in a, an environment for more than 10 years that was TC Shell only. Who doesn't use Bash? Yeah, T-Shell is special. I like functions in my scripting language. I'm just going to leave it there. I like functions. Okay, I'm I'm sorry. I I do need psychological therapy for that one. Uh, I I really feel like I should say that I use Emacs and hail the glories of Richard Stallman and Emacs, but... (laughs) <laughs> I'm a Vim user too. Uh, perhaps we should interview an Emacs user at one point. Uh, probably the most unique um, setup that I do on my Linux boxes is um, GNOME, KDE, and all the common window managers you see nowadays. They they're all suck and they're all horrible. Um, I use a window manager called Awesome. Um, if you're googling, you want to Google for Awesome VM. Um, it's a tiling window manager, uh, and it's 
designed to be completely controlled by the keyboard. It does have great mouse support. So um, folks that are in the in-between state, and really that's that's pretty much me. I I do keep mice attached to my machines. Um, so you get the best of both worlds in, in being able to quickly switch from application to application via keyboard shortcuts, uh, sloppy mouse focus, and being able to keep focused on work and have your hands not leave the keyboard. Um, in a similar route, uh, when I use my uh, Mac, I've got iTerm set up so that it pops up the terminal every time I hit Command-Enter, uh, which is basically the same uh, shortcut I have on my Linux box for give me a terminal now, damn it. Um, other stuff I use. Um, I'm a heavy user of Tmux. I use Screen for years. Um, but Tmux is a little easier to configure and deal with out of the box. Um, it supports um, uh, splitting uh, a terminal into multiple panes a, lot, a little bit better than Screen used to. Uh, really what I miss from Screen is is its ability to connect to serial devices. But I really haven't had the opportunity to be stuck in a data center with my laptop and, and need to talk to a dead Cisco router. Uh, I haven't been in a data center in a while now. Um, so obviously I like keyboard shortcuts for my uh, for my productivity work um, using this lovely IBM Model M keyboard. Um, and Awesome is really great about having some great keyboard shortcuts and letting you define what you need uh, to be uh, more productive. Uh, one of the things I've done in, in uh, Awesome is since I have most of my audio routed through a uh, amplifier that's not always on, um, visual bells or, or audio bells or audio cues aren't always immediately apparent. Um, I may not be listening to music at that point in time. Uh, so I've set up Awesome to uh, highlight windows that uh, become urgent and the the visual bell uh, that the terminal uh, usually emits is what triggers that. And that's actually worked out to be really cool. Um, it's, what can I say? I can program my window manager in Lua. Um, other little tricks I like to use, um, SSH with Control Master, um, is really kind of handy. Uh, SSH is all powerful and can be a magical socks proxy. Uh, there are some GNOME and Firefox plugins that you can get to set up uh, a Chrome and Firefox to use a local socks proxy for specific domains. And that gets really handy. Um, in my Git configuration, I've got um, the decorate flag always past the log option. So every time I type git log, I see the extra um, tags and annotations that you usually see by default in a GUI uh, git log uh, a program, but aren't, aren't viewable by default in the text version. Uh, and that's really helpful to be able to compare where my branch is compared to another tag or somebody else's branch. Um, I wish they did that by default. That's mostly it for me. So you reminded me of two things that I had on my list that I did not actually bring up. Um, on OS X, I use Spectacle as a window tiling assistant. Um, on my Mac Pro, I have three screens in portrait. And with Spectacle, I can throw windows between the screens. I can move them to upper, lower, half, 
um, and middle, left, right, thirds very easily with keyboard with just gestures on the keyboard. So I can tile my my shell sessions. I can tile browser things. And I can move things around very quickly and very easily and very fluidly. So that's an amazing piece of um, shareware that I recommend you pay for. The other thing I use is Audio Hijack Pro, both to record this podcast and to route all the audio off of my personal iMac over to my Mac Pro so I can have both sets of audio from both systems into the same set of headphones at the same time. And I don't have to worry about not hearing, again, a bell or something from one on the other when I have my headphones on. So that's extraordinary, extraordinarily hand, uh, handy. As kind of a tangent, I, I remember in the 90s, with those 640 by 40 screens, we always were writing our applications maximized because there was no screen space. And in the early 2000s and mid 2000s, um, we had screen real estate and all these windows everywhere and, and all the floating window managers that were popular and, and which is the basis of the window management tools we use on the Mac and, and most machines today. Um, but I've, definitely come to the light of tiling window managers and being able to have my uh, browser automatically maximized. Um, I don't like things hidden on my workspace. Um, I don't like distractions, you know, still clearly displayed on my workstations or what I'm looking for or not looking for half hidden and obscured. Um, So there was this big uh, fad of, of 3D window managers um, not long ago, but um, if you're if you're serious at doing operations work or development work, um, and haven't looked into one of the various tiling window managers, gosh, there's an episode right there. Yeah, my my personal one of choice is i three right now. I don't know that one. It's uh, well, I don't know if it's relatively new. It's it's really popular in the Arch community, so that's probably why I gravitate towards it. I've heard of it. I've I've looked at it a bit. Um, I don't know why I keep being drawn back to Awesome, but it's the one that that's but, sort of held my attention. Awesome. Other than the name, <laughs> it's better than Midnight Commander or the others, or Rat Poison. <sighs> what, oh. was that, what was it? FWVM two is that the one that TKL used to use? Yes. Yeah, that's that's going old school for your window manager. If you're not using TWM, then you're not a sysadmin, right? <laughs> I do use TWM as a last resort. Why am I on this machine? There's no good software. It's forcing me into GNOME. I'm just going to use TWM now. <laughs> the other thing that I'm doing that's a little non-standard is I have I threw away my integrated crazy whatever. Wi-Fi router at home, and I have a Ubiquiti Edge Router um, light plugged in because I get to control things a lot better, and I can set um, quality of service controls. So when you have asymmetrical upload and download, frequently if you're pushing a lot of uploads, cough, cough, iCloud, it will saturate, and then you can't get responses back, and TCP starts to fail, and you don't get downloads anymore. So using a real router that cost me $49, I can completely prevent that and before this i was using pf sense on a an x86 box that i had laying around but it was it was too loud and too power hungry to really keep going so i put 
I put that one out as misery, and I strongly recommend getting a real router. Um, you'll have much more stable connections and much better control over your outbound connections. Yeah, I have a mini ITX box that I run PFSense on out in the garage. Oh, I've I been thinking really hard about getting a, a router box and doing PFSense or or something similar to have better control over my network. I just P- never keep getting around to it. PFSense is amazing. I just My current extra x86 box was too loud. I'm really tempted to go um, just put OpenBSD on it and roll my own with PF. I, I do like PF better than um, uh, IP tables. You're strange. <laughs> the other thing that I do with in terms of my network stuff internally is I own Diesendorf.net. And so I have, I've slaved a couple of the subdomains off to internal uses inside my house. So I don't use MDNS or ZeroCon for whatever they're calling it these days. Very much, most of my DNS lookups are actual DNS lookups to an actual DNS server, which meant that when Discovery D was a huge problem for Apple users, I didn't really feel it because I wasn't running, I wasn't querying the local, the, the auto discovery zones. I was querying an actual DNS record, which was very helpful. Um, it is a little confusing when you take a device outside of the house and suddenly these domains that I only have broadcast inside don't exist anymore. But it's it's a nice little trick for people who do heavy setups at home. What DNS do you use in your home network? I am very ashamed to say that I use DNS mask. <laughs> Looking at a host file. But I only have eight entries, so I, I don't need anything really crazy. Well, sorry, that's a lie. I have eight entries for Diesendorf.net, and then I have 55,000-something um, ad networks that resolve to zero 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 now. So I actually drop ad traffic at the router, so it never actually leaves my house and doesn't give anybody the click-through stuff and doesn't let their JavaScript load and doesn't do all the other stupid stuff because their hosts don't exist to me. trying to find the DNS daemon I used to use. DJB DNS or go home? <laughs> There's a really good score if you want one. Still no uh, vulnerabilities found, right? <laughs> yeah, because no one runs it. Well, also, if you carefully word what a vulnerability is, of course there's never going to be a vulnerability. <laughs> right. Yeah, Mr. OpenBSD over there. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're not talking about Theo. <laughs> All security conversations boil down to Theo. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I actually, I mean, what's drawn me to it is just that I, I love, I mean, I, and I know you can do this with Linux, I'm, I, whatever, but OpenBSD has some native things where you basically, like, tell it, I want you to boot read-only, I don't want you to do anything other after you boot, you read only. I don't care what happens, and I think that's pretty cool. And, and like I said, I know you like with Linux, it's like on CentOS, you can do um, you can basically use SE Linux to lock it down pretty tight. 
So I, I know there's comparables there. I think it's partially also I wouldn't mind learning a BSD and, and getting to know a BSD. So do you use a Mac? I do. Well, yeah, but I mean that that is a BSD. It, it is, it, but I, I don't really do anything with the internals of the Mac. So a couple of jobs ago, my my boss was a self proclaimed BSD bigot, and one of the guys that he brought in was a FreeBSD guy. So a lot of our internal systems development stuff, like the Nagios box, the backups boxes, and those things, were all running on BSD, and it was very different from things I was used to at the time, but. It was kind of nice to go, okay, I'm, I'm doing Solaris, and I'm doing Red Hat, and I'm doing, oh, which, I can't remember the, which other Linux, Linux distribution, and then we're also doing FreeBSD, and it kept you on your toes about which environment was available where, and how not to assume that, you know, the Linux way was the right way of doing things, or that, oh, I'll always have, you know, whatever. It was, it was a nice way of seeing other ways of doing stuff. Anything else, guys? I think that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good here. So that wraps it up for episode 16 of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Thank you and good night.